A reading from the second book of Samuel. David returned from his defeat of the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Going to David, he fell to the ground in homage. David asked him, where do you come from? He replied, I have escaped from the camp of the children of Israel. Tell me what happened, David bade him. He answered that many of the soldiers had fled the battle and that many of them had fallen and were dead. Among them, Saul and his son, Jonathan. David seized his garments and rent them. And all the men who were with him did likewise. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening. For Saul and his son, Jonathan, and for the soldiers of the Lord of the clans of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Alas, the glory of Israel, Saul slain upon your heights. How can the warriors have fallen? Saul and Jonathan, beloved and cherished, separated neither in life nor in death, swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Women of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and in finery, who decked your attire with ornaments of gold. How can the warriors have fallen in the thick of the battle, slain upon your heights? I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. Most dear have you been to me. More precious have I held love for you than love for women. How can the warriors have fallen? The weapons of war have perished. The word of the Lord. Let us see your face, Lord, and we shall be saved. O shepherd of Israel, hearken, O God of the flock of Joseph, from your throne upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Rouse your power and come save us. O Lord of hosts, how long will you burn with anger while your people pray? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in ample measure. You have left us to be fought over by our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Let us be
Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. Jesus came with his disciples into the house. Again, the crowd gathered, making it impossible for them even to eat. When his relatives heard of this, they set out to seize him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Verbum Domini. First, we thank God for the great good accomplished yesterday with the March for Life in Washington, D.C. We pray for the continued fruitfulness and the effect that they might have both in all those who participated at the march, all those who viewed, and those who may have been affected who weren't uh, expecting it, you know, that the graces might be there, that there might be a change of hearts, especially those who actively promote abortion or those who are considering abortion. We pray also for the spiritual fruitfulness of the Walk for Life West Coast, which will be today in San Francisco, and all the events uh, throughout the country and out the world, throughout the world, um, just continuing to seek to promote and protect human life from the moment of conception. In our first reading today, we hear of David being informed of the death of uh, Saul and Jonathan, his son. And David grieves and he laments over this loss. Jonathan was like a brother to him. In addition, we see an example of heroic charity in David's response to the death of Saul, because as we know, Saul sought to kill him on multiple occasions, and we could easily see how he would be relieved, expressing even um, joy at the death of his persecutor, of his enemy, and yet he grieves over the loss. He saw him as the Lord's anointed. Saul, again, had tried to kill him on multiple occasions, just as we heard in yesterday's reading. And when he confronted Saul, David said to Saul, I have done you no wrong, though you, have hunted, you are hunting me down to take my life. Again, he had a profound respect for the office of the king and referred to him as the Lord's anointed, even though the king acted with evil intent against him. David never sought his own advantage by overthrowing the king because he firmly believed he was chosen by God to lead the people of Israel. So David is a good witness to us of loving one's enemies, which our Lord, of course, would emphasize in the gospel. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We love our enemies by forgiving them, forgiving them the wrong they have done to us from our hearts. We love our enemies by praying for them, by praying for their conversion. We desire Good, good for them, for their conversion, but to show goodwill toward them, especially praying for their conversion. Again, we see the example of David who admitted to Saul in yesterday's reading, I had some thought of killing you, but I took pity on you instead. So he admitted just the humanness, our weakness, that if we're harmed, there can be a desire welling up in us to get revenge, to get back at the person. And yet he resisted that with God's grace. He overcame that temptation of revenge for the harm and distress that Saul had caused him. But rather, he left it in God's hands. David said to Saul, the Lord will judge between me and you. 
and the Lord will exact justice from you in my case. And again, after David heard of the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, he then composed a song of lament, which we hear at the end of today's reading. And it's very fitting that the church provides for us today a psalm of lament for our responsorial psalm, Psalm 80. And the context for that psalm is that Israel's mourning after being overrun by invaders. It's begging God for restoration, to be saved from this distress. And we just got a few lines in our responsorial psalm today, but if we read Psalm 80 in its entirety, we see that they are confronting, the psalm is confronting the mystery of God's suffering, like God permitting suffering in the lives of his people, despite his great care for them in the past. And that caused great confusion. Lord, you brought us up to this point, you brought us through a lot, and yet how come you're permitting all this suffering in our lives? We know that God always has what's best in mind, and sometimes it's a purification taking place, as we know it was in the lives of his people. But we hear the sorrow expressed in the Psalm 80, and that God has fed his people with the bread of tears, as it's described. He's given them tears to drink in ample measure. But even in the suffering permitted, it's important, it is measured, right, that God has permitted this in ample measure. In other words, this suggests that God places a limit on the suffering that he permits in our lives, lest one be completely overwhelmed, right? And we have the great gift of redemptive suffering that our Lord came and transformed the power of suffering. And there's a tone in Psalm 80 of hope, calling out to God as a shepherd in relationship to his people. O shepherd of Israel, hearken, we heard. Rouse your power and come to save us. So this gives us an image of the Lord as one who guides and protects his people. Our Lord, of course, would also apply this imagery to himself in the gospel. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. He knows his sheep by name, and he came to lay down his life for them, for each of us. And our gospel today is very short. It's only two lines, two verses, and it follows immediately after yesterday's account when the Lord appointed his 12 apostles. Remember, he called them first to be with him, and then he sent them out to preach and to cast out demons, which were causing great suffering in the lives of many people. But the top priority of the apostles and for each of us is to first be with him, to spend time with him, to be generous in that. And then we are strengthened to go out and carry out the mission that the Lord entrusts to us. Just like Mark, St. Mark chose those words very carefully, he called, he appointed the 12 to first be with him and then to be sent out to preach and to cast out demons. But after the Lord appointed the 12, as we hear in today's very short gospel, he then goes to the home of Peter in Capernaum. And so many people pressed in upon him and the apostles that he didn't even have, they didn't even have time to eat. They became impossible for them to eat. So some of the relatives we hear in today's gospel, some of the relatives of the Lord, they came and they sought to seize him, thinking that he was out of his mind. He's crazy. He's being excessively generous with himself that he can't even take care of his own basic needs. And so they sought to seize him and to get him out of that situation. So Christ himself was misunderstood, even by his own relatives. And similarly, those who seek to follow Christ and to imitate him will also suffer misunderstanding at times which can be a great source of suffering. Many don't understand why one would want to wholeheartedly follow Christ, to be generous in that, which sometimes we know leads to mockery. 
Someone can easily be accused of being overzealous or overly pious, right, if we have a great devotion to the Lord and strive for holiness. St. Paul understood this very well. And he would say in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 10, that for the sake of Christ, he said, we are fools for the sake of Christ. Right? The world sees it as foolish that we don't seek to conform our lives to the ways of the world. That money, that pleasure, that fame, that honor are not the top priorities in our lives. Rather, we seek to follow the advice of St. Paul when he said, do not conform your lives to this age. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know that the lives, the life of Christ, the lives of the saints, and all who seek to follow Christ and conform their lives to his, they go against the standards of the world. But our Lord is the way and the truth and the life. And we know the way that he proposes when we follow him, it's not a way of comfort and ease in this life, but rather it involves embracing the cross, it involves self-denial, denying those tendencies that we experience every day, the tendency towards selfishness and excessive pride. Rather, we seek and desire to please God, to work for his honor, to work for his glory, not seeking to gain the respect of the world, and if we strive for holiness and seek to imitate Christ, we can be considered, as our Lord was, to be out of our minds, to be crazy in the eyes of the world, to be foolish, especially by those who are immersed in the ways of the world. But we're not living for this earthly life alone. And we're not alone. We're on this pilgrimage together. We're on this earthly pilgrimage, which is also referred to whenever we pray the Hail Holy Queen of the Salve Regina. This is referred to as our exile. We have to remember that. This is not home. This is not our eternal home. Heaven is home. So we ask the Blessed Mother, who we honor today in this Mass, to accompany and to assist us as we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and on heaven as we continue through this very brief earthly pilgrimage. And we thank God for the countless graces that he's given us and continues to give us each and every day, strengthening and nourishing us with his own body and blood and Holy Communion. And also we ask for that grace that we might persevere with peace in our souls as we continue on this journey toward eternal life with God in heaven. <laughs>